kill you. Yeah, what's wrong with the beer we got? Evening, ladies and gentlemen. It's Monday evening. Good. It's a little. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Ooh. Monday evening. Getting a Good. little feedback. Ladies and gentlemen. I don't know where the feedback's coming from. Ah, okay. Mm-hmm. I can just pop the headphones off my ears. Um. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. It's Monday evening. It's a little after six, and it's another edition of Auntie Nanny. It's gone now. Um. With me, as always, is the lovely and vivacious Miss Jeannie Kay. How are you this evening, Miss Jeannie? You know, Jen, there, you, <laughs> even or not, there are people out there that have met me, so they know you're full of shit, but you keep saying that every week. I think it is just you hoping at some point I will be lovely and vivacious. You, you are. Work on You're a lot of fun. You're, you're, the light, you're the lightheartedness to the show that it desperately needed. Thank you. And the best producer money can't buy, which is good because I can't afford to pay him. Very boring. How are you feeling this week, Barry? Oh, good. My, my, my mouth is healing. So. Excellent. And I will point out, I will, I will work for, you know, e-liquid. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> uh, I don't know if anybody saw the um, story about the little boy. Remember we were talking yeah. about we didn't really think that little boy uh, might have ingested e-liquid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 100 milligram strength. What I want to know is what irresponsible ass vendor sold it to her in a bottle with a cork on it. No, 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 no. No, no, they lost the original. Oh, no, no, that's not what really? happened. Okay. Um, yeah, no. Um Actually, and the article says that they're going to sue Heartland Babes, which absolutely floors me. Um, because, Jan, every bottle of nicotine they sell has the warning labels on that. It, it even has the uh, bio, bio um, warning diamond on them. Okay? Right. Um, most nicotine is not in a childproof bottle. And 100 milligram nicotine is not and has never fucking been intended for Joe Schmo off the street to have and handle. No, okay. it's it's mixing liquid. It's for yes. mixers. Yes. It's for well, actually, it's it's for people with some common fucking sense that <laughs> treat it for the substance that it is. Mm-hmm. Okay, 
you you would not go get out your can of Ajax <laughs> and leave it sitting on an end table with a small child around, now would you? No. Um, I don't know if anybody saw Hawaii Vapors. Hawaii Vapors United is asking people to use their testimony tool, all people, and submit testimony online because apparently they're going to force through that whole horrible, horrible bill tomorrow. And they think if people actually use the testimony tool, the general public, maybe it can overwhelm them or something. I don't know. But they think that's their only shot. So I, I think it's unusual. They were asking people from everywhere to do it. So, I mean, if you're a member of the public, I stuck a link in there, which is a shame. It's yeah. ridiculous. I am... Um, yeah, I guess this is what we have to look forward to, and this is why Alex is so overwhelmed. Yeah, poor guy. Uh, which, but good news in at the start, by the way. Uh huh. Um, I, I know a lot of people uh, over your side of the pond won't know him, but I'm dropping a link in chat. Okay. Will Self, political commentator, okay. right? Quite famous. Okay. He vapes. Nice. He wrote an article in Esquire. <laughs> Slanging off governments for trying to take it away. Yeah. Because, you know, he was, I, I thought he still smoked, but no, apparently he changed to vaping. Not yeah. New Year. Uh, did you see the link I dropped in your chat where that guy wants to have a duel with um, the guy from UKIP, Nigel Farage? <laughs> <laughs> he challenged him to a duel, like with a sword duel. Yes, we still have aristocrats <laughs> over here, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. Um, this show isn't going to be like last week's. And I know people are probably saying, oh, thank God. Or, gee, you sounded drunk last week. <laughs> I, I, I saw a lot of that in chat last week. Chan sounds so relaxed. You must be drunk. Yeah, I haven't um, I haven't started reading anything yet. Um, but, but, but here's what happens. Jan has an ooh, shiny so- show and SoundCloud censors the thing and pulls it <laughs> off the internet. It so. did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, back to the old drawing board and um Oh that go ahead. Before you go on, Jen, I to go back to that nicotine thing for a minute. Sure. And and don't don't think for a minute that I don't feel bad. My heart absolutely breaks that mm-hmm. a child died. I think everybody screaming about the story being a plant needs their fucking head examined. Um nobody's gonna pretend their child died. Um well. But I, I think it's I think it's a terrible, horrible thing that a child died. But mm-hmm. ultimately, this is the fault of the three adults. Yes, it is. I mean, and you have to wonder, honestly, what kind of... I know we don't offer parenting tests, and I'm, I'm not a fan of eugenics, and I'm not a fan of de- global depopulation. I don't like Agenda 21. Um, I, I think human beings are too densely populated and if we spread out a little bit the planet would be better off but um i have a a real problem with if you're responsible enough to be a parent not being responsible enough to handle you know e-liquid i mean i guess for those people i would say uh stick with smokeless tobacco that's almost foolproof except for the guy who a few years ago um inserted it into another cavity and died because he couldn't get it back out 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it killed him. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And it, it did kill him, but, uh, you know, it mostly. It a long time. Yeah. yeah mostly oral tobacco um, is pretty much foolproof. You can't really kill people with it. And most children won't ingest it. So, Well, I mean, as, as Jeannie said, I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's not the nicotine's fault. It's the stupid-ass sister who left it on the table without the lid on. And it's then the parents who didn't pick it up and move it. Mm, I know. Um, I'm just... Crazy. I'm floored by it. I am. Poor little boy. Um, yeah. Okay. So, should I start with the Politico story? Yes, ma'am. Okay. This is a story from Politico, by the way. I figured I should just start... Because this is kind of funny. Actual authors, <laughs> and yeah. <laughs> and if somebody's uh, looking for the hee ha ha moment of the show. Here it is. That this is it. Yeah. Uh, Eric Holder reminds Department of Justice employees to stop hiring prostitutes. Attorney General Eric Holder had a friendly reminder for Justice Department employees before the weekend: don't solicit prostitutes. In a letter released to all department staff on Friday, Holder wrote that he wanted to reiterate to all department personnel, including attorneys and law enforcement officers, that they are prohibited from soliciting, procuring, or accepting commercial sex. Holder wrote that despite prostitution being legal in parts of Nevada and abroad, department employees are expected to refrain not simply because it invites extortion, blackmail, and leaks of sensitive or classified information, but also because it undermines the department's effort to eradicate the scourge of human trafficking. Uh, The letter follows a report from the DOJ's internal oversight office released last month that contained allegations of sexual misconduct at a number of agencies within the Department of Justice. The report contained specific allegations that 10 agents within the Drug Enforcement Agency hired sex workers overseas for parties at an agent's quarters, leased for him by the U.S. government. According to the Washington Post, these parties took place in Colombia. Also included in the report are accusations that the Colombian officials of DEA agents frequenting a brothel and receiving money, gifts, and weapons from drug cartel members. Seven of the ten agents accused of attending the parties admitted to their involvement, and the DEA imposed penalties of between two and ten day suspensions. As an excuse for his actions, one DEA agent told investigators that prostitution is considered part of the local culture. Holder dismissed this line of reasoning outright in his letter. Regardless whether prostitution is legal or tolerated in a particular jurisdiction, he wrote, soliciting prostitutes creates a greater demand for human trafficking victims and a consequential increase in commercial sex slavery. The Justice Department report followed 2012 allegations of Secret Service agents who are technically housed within the Department of Homeland Security soliciting prostitutes in Colombia. The Washington Post reported that one Secret Service agent told federal investigators that he was referred to a prostitute by an informal party hosted by agents from the DEA. It just blows my mind. I think it's funny. I think it's funny. It said it's a pathetic commentary on... Um, corruption yeah it's just how does that happen you work for the government you you shouldn't be you know hiring hookers because that's illegal <laughs> and the government never does anything illegal as, as it happens, I've, I've got my free um i've got my free netflix trial and i've been watching uh, 
um, the good wife. So yeah, <laughs> research honestly. Yeah, I've I've never seen that show. Oh, I mean, good. I don't I don't watch TV, so you know, I can't say I don't. I I, I am a big fan of uh, the Big Bang Theory. Um, <laughs> I am. I, I like the Big Bang Theory. I like. Um, there's a show, it's History Uncovered or History's Mystery, something like that. That's pretty interesting as well. And and the genealogy one, um, the one that originally came from the UK, we were talking about it last yeah, week. Yeah, who do you think who you are? Who do you think you are? Yeah. That's about the only TV I watch. Oh, and C-SPAN. Well, The, the Good Wife's worth a watch. Because yeah. it's got its moments. But the, I mention it because the, in it, the main characters had to go back to being a lawyer because her husband... This, the attorney was it the state attorney has right. been caught with prostitutes and <laughs> all that kind of stuff. You know, so he's gone to jail just, for you know. <laughs> we could just you know live like my favorite show, and the, but then again, we all have dragons. <laughs> oh yeah, Game of Thrones came back, didn't it? Game of Thrones came back on yesterday. Yeah, I've got the episode. I haven't watched it and, yet. And to the sorry bastards that leaked the first four episodes online, don't do that shit. Yeah. <laughs> because if I watch them all right now, then I'm going to have four weeks where I'm like, son of a bitch, I have no Game of Thrones again. <laughs> but yeah, I, I like the dragon idea. Either that or, or you know, we can just cut people's heads off with swords. <laughs> a sword would would solve a lot of problems. Well, I mean, you heard us talking about um, one uh, <clears throat> aristocrat in the UK uh, offering to <laughs> at literally duel with Nigel Farage from UKIP. Uh, he thinks they should settle their differences like men from the 17th century. That's because the the aristocrat in question is 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 an immigrant, and Mr. Farage does not like immigrants. So, yeah. yeah, he's he's annoyed the in, insane rich foreign person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it it's uh, it's pretty bad when that happens. Um, okay, this is from the Electronic Frontier Foundation, and this was not listed with any author. Human Rights Watch sues DEA over bulk collection of Americans' telephone records. That's really sad. I mean, that was like when you had the UN uh, Human human Dignity Watch or Human Rights Watch press come over and do a review of what the UK is doing. That's, that's equally as bad. They're still doing it, yeah. <laughs> that, that is equally, that's as bad as when we had the UN show up in Detroit over the water shutoffs. These, yeah. these things are really bad. These are not good things. You don't want your country's name associated with these organizations. Um, yeah, EFF lawsuit challenges drug enforcement administration surveillance of international call records. Human Rights Watch, a nonpartisan organization that fights human rights abuses across the globe, filed suit against the U.S. Drug Enforcement Agency late Tuesday for legally collecting records of its telephone calls to certain foreign countries as part of yet another government bulk surveillance program. The group is represented by the Electronic Frontier Foundation, which has launched a series of legal challenges against unconstitutional government surveillance. The DEA's program of untargeted and suspicionless surveillance of Americans' international telephone call records 
information about the numbers people call, the time, date, and duration of those calls, affects millions of innocent people. Yet the DEA operated the program in secret for years. EFF staff attorney Nate said, EFF staff attorney Nate Cordonzo. Both the First and Fourth Amendment protect Americans from this kind of overreaching surveillance. This lawsuit aims to vindicate Human Rights Watch's rights and the rights of all Americans to make calls overseas without being subjected to government surveillance. The DEA disclosed the existence of its surveillance for the first time in January after a federal judge ordered the government to reveal more information about the program. The agency made the disclosure in a criminal case against a man accused of violating export restrictions on goods to Iran. In a declaration filed in the case, a DEA agent described the then-secret program of collecting telephone records of calls made from the U.S. to designated foreign countries that are connected with with international drug trafficking. The declaration revealed that the DEA relied on administrative subpoenas to amass the database of Americans' call records. The DEA obtained the records without judicial oversight or approval. There's your digital liberty. Gone. News reports say that the program run by the DEA's Special Operations Division began its bulk collection in the 1990s, using the collected records to create a database for domestic criminal probes. The information was shared with other law enforcement agencies, including the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security, for reasons unrelated to drug trafficking, media reports said. Although the DEA has indicated the program was, quote, suspended in 2013, the suit seeks to ensure the program is permanently terminated, that it cannot restart, and that all of Human Rights Watch's illegally collected records have been purged from all government systems. Human Rights Watch and staff regularly work on issues in countries linked to drug trafficking, communicating with victims or witnesses to human rights abuses. Human Rights Watch often works with people in dire circumstances around the world. Our sources are sometimes in life or death situations, and speaking out can make them a target, said Dinah Prokemper, General Counsel of Human Rights Watch, who we communicate with, and when we communicate with them, is often extraordinarily sensitive and it's information that we would never turn over to the government lately. The NSA isn't the only federal agency collecting Americans' records in bulk, said the EFF. The DEA's program is yet another example of federal agencies overreaching their surveillance authority in secret. We're asking the court to require the government to destroy the records it illegally collected, no matter where they're held, and to declare once and for all that bulk collection of Americans' records is unconstitutional. Might be a cold day in hell. Um, we saw last week with the John Oliver story. Um, most people don't grasp what that means. Well, it's I, I can quite believe on U.S. soil they will destroy the records. I know, but they don't but, need to have them on U.S. soil. So yeah. Well, you <laughs> no, know, look, look, our agency doesn't have the records, and it'll <laughs> our be true. Because we'll give them the British government to hold on to. Uh, well, GCHQ has yeah. that wonderful take-it-all program, see-it-steal-it yep. <laughs> program. So, you know, anytime they want it, they just have to go there. Yeah. Um, which is disturbing when you realize the scope of it. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the only private place pretty much is inside your own head. I had a story on my Facebook page last week about the lengths a man went to. He's a performance artist. So he decided he was going to make a completely private phone call. And (laughs) my God, 
it was horrible. The lengths he had to go to, he had to get like a Faraday cage for his phone, yep. and it. I'm just completely shielded cabling, independent power yeah. source, all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Just ridiculous, ridiculous yeah. to be on the phone with another human being, an unidentified human being, for about three seconds and pass them a coded <laughs> message. I is this really what it's come to? Where the only secure method of communication is tin cans and string? For God's sake. <laughs> You can't use smoke signals anymore. No, no. The UN will get you. Yeah. <laughs> You're burning something. Stop it. Yeah. yeah, stop burning. Burning anything. I don't care if you live in Alaska and you have to burn something to survive. No more. Um, did anybody see that horrible, horrible story? And I didn't put it on here because I didn't think I could take reading it where one of the people from the UN was talking about how the planet needed to get down to 9 million people. Uh-huh, yeah. Mm. And, yeah. Well, they've known this for a very long time. They knew our populations is a problem. The problem, really, this is why there, there's no big, huge investigations into all the catastrophic chemical spills in India and China and all that. Because, yeah, the international uh, overseers, shall we say, know <laughs> there, there hasn't been a major war in ages, so population really is an issue. Well, you know, it is an issue, but don't worry. Um, if we elect that fucking bitch Hillary or that idiot Jeb Bush, we'll just have perpetual war. Just yeah. perpetual. It, the military-industrial complex is alive and well in this country. So, no worries. America will take care of that for you. No problem. Hmm. Um, I'm really, really disgusted with Hillary Clinton. Uh, I, I am not happy. I didn't that. like eight years. She already ran the country. I'm not fucking voting for her again. Uh, I didn't vote for her last time. Uh, well, neither did I, but that was it. Or him. Um, I wouldn't have... Um, Simply because of, well, I mean, you all know about the cocaine money. They ran through government agencies in Arkansas and all the people that died. I'm assuming. Not the only one who knows this stuff. I mean, it's it's pretty much out there, although it's not talked about. Um, so I'm not a fan of people illegally running drug money through governmental agencies and then giving their friends loans and then signing off on the loans so their friends never have to pay the money back. So they get a cut of the money. It's drug money. It's laundered. It's, it's a pretty complicated scheme. But they actually ran this scheme out of a welfare agency in the Arkansas government that they created. And people thought they were taking taxpayer funds and they were paying for, you know, schools and, and books and things for needy children and no they were just giving rich people a way to launder their cocaine money so i'm not a fan of the clintons for a lot of reasons that's just one of them <laughs> i don't care about bill and his weird ass sex life and i don't care if hillary really is a lesbian or not i i could care less about any of that stuff none of it matters to me um i i just think some of the things she did when she got a man off for raping a 13-year-old girl when she was an attorney and laughed about it. I really have a problem with that. 
that that is not it's like electing tainted meat and Jeb Bush is no better. Those are just my opinions. I'm sorry. I was going to go there. I couldn't keep quiet about it. It bothers me. Rand, we deserve better choices. Didn't Rand Paul make an announcement? Oh, yeah. And then YouTube censored that. So mm-hmm. that was good. <sighs> okay. Uh, Graves, Dan, Graves End Report. Uh Compulsory abortion for Down syndrome. Fetus is nice. Yeah, yeah. Just another of the UKIP candidates. Uh, they're just wonderful people, honestly. You're I fucking kidding me? Uh-huh. Well, I mean, it's not just that. Some of the UKIP candidates have endorsed what's called fourth trimester abortions. You know what fourth mm-hmm. trimester is. I know you know. Jeannie, do you know what that is? That's a living baby. Yes. That's infanticide. So, yeah. Lovely people. You well, I've met some grown ass adults. Mm-hmm. I have met some grown ass adults that I think would be perfect poster children for retroactive. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there are there are a lot of people who would be good for a, a, a live, a live. <laughs> well, you can't call it a partial birth abortion, and you can't call it a live birth abortion. Um, you've, got, you've you've got you've got South Park running around in my head now. <laughs> Sorry. Hartman's um, mom. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just, I think, I think the government, on all levels, no matter who's in it and who's running it, uh, has proven itself um, distasteful and not in favor of you or other human beings. And I mean that. Don't get me wrong. I understand UKIP wants to reverse the smoking ban. I'm all about that. I think a lot of the human rights abuses started when these non-governmental agencies saw how easy it was to convince people that their rights needed to be taken away by using propaganda or statistical trickery or just repeating the same thing over and over for 30 years. Um, People believe it. My problem with UKIP is they're basically, you can't trust them. Do not vote for them. Do well, not you vote keep, for them. The, they will say think, anything they want to get you to vote for them, and I they have no intention of. Do, they have every intention of being insane when if they get any power. Well, I don't think any politician is any better than any other. I mean, I, I really. <sighs> well, it's, uh, the one that annoys you about UKIP is they they never they they always cover up and, and ignore any of their uh, past statements. Um, (laughs) Hell, how can you trust a political party when at the last election, when asked what he he thought about their manifesto, the leader of the party mentioned he hadn't bothered reading it? (laughs) Oh, well, we, we, we elect people like that. Diane, that fucking bitch Feinstein. Men, that other one, that other old hag, what's her name? Jeannie, we have to pass it to find out what's in it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, um, oh, yeah, I know what I'm talking about. God, I feel like we're having a good old the other fucking bitch. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I, I feel like we're having a good old fashioned political witch burning this evening. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't had one of those in a while. Oh God, Barbara yeah. I mean, Boxer. 
I've got an election Pelosi. coming up. I don't have anyone I really trust that I want to vote for. I, I don't trust any of them anymore. I mean, it's gotten to the point where I know it, but he's like, oh, Rand Paul, and he says, like, his first day in, he's going to get rid of the surveillance state. You know what? Read the gray state. Oh, I'm sorry, no, yeah, not gray Josh, state. And, yeah, Josh, you're right. It, it was Nancy Pelosi. That's the other fucking bitch. <laughs> Pelosi, Boxer. They're all the same. They just put on different monster mask faces when they talk to the public. I think it's all just one person, really. Well, you see, because you've got so many politicians over your way, you've got many more of the bitch club. Mm. We've got very few uh, bitches over here. Or at least none have ended up in any major positions for any great length of time. Well, I mean, we have a shadow government. And I can say that without sounding crazy. Because we know we do. When surveillance gets enacted on the people and there's no one you can call to the on the carpet and demand an explanation for it, for about how it happened, you have no say and no control over your government. That's a problem. If you are supposed to be a democratic republic or a democracy, even let, let's just say we're a democracy, which means we're a tyranny of the majority. There is still someone for you to hold accountable when these things happen. We don't have that. That's a problem. And that's a problem for having a democratic government or having any sort of government. And I don't know how you fix it. I just know that if you don't fix it, it's going to get a lot worse. And it's not going to get better. And it's going to lead to something else. And I don't know what it is. And, yeah, I think everybody who wants to run for government office is a sociopath, and I exempt two people from, well, four people from that statement. I exempt Ron Paul from that statement. I even exempt Bernie Sanders from that statement because I truly believe that man thinks he's doing the right thing and the Lord's work, and he believes in what he's doing. Um, Justin Amash and... um, Thomas Massey. Those are the only four people I think who've ever run for office with good ideals who haven't been completely corrupted by the process. And you know they haven't because they vote no on stuff. (laughs) So, um, I would think everybody, I think everybody else is pretty much corrupted by the system. And, uh, it's not a good thing. Okay. S-O-P-303. Does anybody know what that is? No, I don't think so. Okay, Jeannie? Nope. Okay. I know what S-O-P stands for, but I don't know what that is. S-O-P-303 is a mobile phone kill switch policy. Okay. Court Moles revealing secret government plan to cut cell phone service. This is from Ars Technica. Okay. So you know I'm not pulling these from like uh, End the Fed or, you know, Ron Paul Flick's websites. These are actual publications. Federal Appeals Court is asking the Obama administration to explain why the government should be allowed to keep secret its plan to shutter mobile phone service during critical emergencies. Department of Homeland Security came up with the plan known as Standing Operation Procedure, SOP 303. 
after cellular phones were used to detonate explosives targeting a London public transportation system. SOP 303 is a powerful tool in the digital age, and it spells out a unified voluntary process for the orderly shutdown and restoration of wireless services during critical emergencies such as the threat of radio-activated improvised explosive devices. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit Court in February sided with the government and ruled that the policy did not need to be disclosed under a Freedom of Information Act request from the Electronic Privacy Information Center, EPIC. The court agreed with the government's citation of an FOIA exemption that precludes disclosure if doing so could, quote, reasonably be expected to endanger the life or physical safety of any individual. Epic asked the court to revisit during its ruling, arguing that the decision, if left in place, would create an untethered national security exemption in FOIA law. On Friday, the court ordered the government to respond, a move that suggests the appellate court might rehear the case. Epic originally asked for the document in 2011, but in the wake of the shutdown of mobile phone service in the San Francisco Bay Area subway system during a protest, the government withheld the information. Epic sued and won, but the government then appealed and prevailed. In its position for rehearing, Epic argued that the appellate court's decision created a catch-all provision that would allow federal agencies to routinely withhold records subject to disclosure where the agency merely asserts a specific speculative security risk. Under the direction of the so-called National Security Telecommunications Advisory Committee, an unknown government agency we're just hearing about now, SOP 303 allows for the shutting down of wireless networks within a localized area, such as a tunnel or bridge, and even within an entire metropolitan area. There have been no publicly disclosed instances when SOP 303 has been invoked, but the telecoms have agreed to shutter service when SOP 303 is invoked. Local governments have, however, the power to shut wa- shutter wireless service regardless of whether SOP 303 is invoked. The last time a mobile service phone service was cut by a government agency was the San Francisco example from 2011. That was when the Bay Area Rapid Transit System took the heat for disabling services to quell a protest in four downtown San Francisco stations. The three-hour outage was done after BART cut service without the assistance of the telecoms. In the aftermath, BART produced a new policy that said service could only be shut off when there is strong evidence of imminent, imminent unlawful activity that threatens the safety of district passengers, employees, and other members of the public. So, something else you didn't know about, SOP 303. Thoughts? How um, am I not surprised? Yeah. It's, it's kind of been a, a, a government standard to, when they want to have... Uh, blocks on communication systems it's not new it's just <laughs> they're more worried by I. they are worried by mobile phones because it makes it it does make it convenient to do bomb detonators it must be said um, right. but terrorists will just switch back to using long wave radio mm-hmm. which is much harder to block <laughs> well I mean there's that but there are other reasons why you would shut down phone service Oh yeah, it's highly dodgy. You need to have so many controls in place so that they can't just do it whenever they feel like. 
Right. Well, I'm just saying there are other reasons governments would choose to shut this down. Um, speaking of shutting down Spain, did anybody hear about Spain? I tried not to read about Spain because it seems to have gone insane. Spain didn't just go crazy. Spain basically criminalized protest in person. Yeah. Okay. Did anybody see... If you're my Facebook friend, I'm sure you saw me making a real... Oh, drones? No. The hologram protests? You didn't see that. Nobody has any idea what I'm talking about. No. Um, I'm going to grab a link for the chat. Um, Barry, you do know what I'm talking about, don't you? I think so, yes. Okay. I'm going to grab a link to a video. Thomas is... uh, Yeah, put the link in as well. Okay. Um, (laughs) The planet has a problem. It's not just America. Mm -hmm. It's every country has gone out of their fucking mind. Well, I think it's because there's too many people. (laughs) Well, so you're siding with the UN and we need to just kill people. No. Then you would love my Democratic pick for president. I can't believe you didn't have the story in here about the fucking town that wants not only to ban vaping, but bees, too. I mean, them people Go are... ahead. Can you read it? Can you read it for everybody? Oh, yeah, I can read that for everybody. Okay. Because I was like, what in the fuck is that? Yes, that's people being helpful. Yeah. No, it's not. It's, it's not helpful. Check that's- the town's water supply. That's the first thing you need to do. So, yeah. I'm going to stick this in here. This link is from Revolution News. They pulled everything directly from RT. Yeah. The, yeah, there's been some funny hologram protests. I loved the I one with the Ed Snowden statue. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, but they've, if you watch the film of the hologram protests that's linked in the Revolution News story, okay that they did because of the Le Mazda laws. Um, that means gag law in Spanish. It, they're doing really amazing, amazing work. I mean, there are, it looks like a ghost protest. I've never seen anything like it. And, um, if they make peaceful protest impossible, and they take away technology. What happens after that? What do they make inevitable? Yeah. I got it. Riot. Okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, and, okay. you know, when you first sent me this, Jan, mm-hmm. I was slipping out. I'm like, is this Altoona, Pennsylvania? <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck is this? <laughs> it's not. I, I, you know, figured it out. It's um, in Wisconsin. So, um, Yeah. The Altoona City Council wants to shut its doors when it comes to beekeeping. The council was originally considering an ordinance that would allow residents to keep bees as long as they followed certain rules, like getting a permit. Thursday night, the council did not consider that law change. Rather, they decided to look at banning beekeeping entirely. Like, it's like chickens. If you want to have bees or chickens... Move out the country. That's my opinion, said Andy 
Schaeffler, and Altoona Council member. City Council will schedule a public hearing on banning beekeeping, which could happen in two weeks. The council is also looking at banning e-cigarettes as well. The council decided to pursue an e-cig ban in the city limits. Council members proposed a law that would regulate e-cigarettes just like regular cigarettes. The extent of the law would be banning of e-cigarettes in public places like restaurants and bars. Not, you know, that they're privately held businesses, but that's okay. The city will begin drafting an ordinance that would ban e-cigarettes, which could also be on the agenda in two weeks. So, all right. So, this Hello? this guy doesn't like bees, right? Does he not like food? <laughs> well, he doesn't like chickens either, so no. I'm going to guess he doesn't like food. He doesn't like vapor, so he doesn't like you know, del- that delicious nonsense. So fuck that delicious nonsense and fuck food too. I wonder, and wonder fuck if, all you. if the people at Monsanto are Monsanto. much how much money they're giving him. <laughs> I, I have no idea. But um, yeah, uh, that city council has lost its goddamn mind. So yeah, uh, move out of the country. If you want to raise chickens, this, this guy is fucking I think brilliant. I think the dumb fuck meant to say to the country. <laughs> well, if that was a direct quote, we, <laughs> but, we should know, be sending that fucker emails. Yeah. Regardless, um, he's a fucking idiot. Now, you know, I mean, I can understand them saying you can't have 50 beehives on your property. Because... Okay. That's that's a fuck ton of bees, um, and and I mean a metric fuck ton. That, that's a lot of bees. Um, we just opened up our hive after winter, um, and and because we when it's when the days when it starts getting where it's a little warm out, the bees want something to do, so we put pollen patties inside the hives. And even after going all winter in hibernation. Um, there are probably still in the hive in the in the side yard. There are probably still sixty thousand bees in there. Yeah. So you know, I mean, I can understand them saying you know there's a limit on the number of hives you can have on your city lot. Mm-hmm. But I, yeah, banning beekeeping is about the stupidest thing I've heard a fucking politician say in a very long time. And I've heard them say a lot of stupid shit. I do this show with you, Jan. I hear all the stupid (laughs) shit they say. Uh, No, 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 no. Landmass is capsizing. That's that's pretty close. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty close to that. Uh, Yeah, they they could put loads of bees on the other other end of the island and stop it capsizing. Oh, there you go. Or or they could just put the bees there, and hopefully, you know, the bees flapping their little wings as fast (laughs) as they do would, you know. Keep it level. Or or just find the crazy politician and give him a present of a hive full of African bees. <laughs> That'd also solve that particular problem. Oh, there's <laughs> there's so many ways to solve that particular problem, but that's one of the funnier ones. Um Okay. Um should I do the story that I subtitled Jesus Fucking Christ? Yeah, you should. Okay. This is from the Washington Post. 
The NSA wants tech companies to give it front door access to encrypted data. The National Security Agency is embroiled in a battle with tech companies over access to encrypted data that would allow it to spy more easily on millions of Americans and international citizens. Last month, companies like Google, Microsoft, and Apple urged the Obama administration to put an end to the NSA's bulk collection of metadata, probably because, you know, it's been found out that they're a partner with them. Prism. The NSA, on the other hand, continues to parade the idea that the government needs access to encrypted data on smartphones and other devices to track and prevent criminal activity. It's a digital fourth rights violation. Now NSA Director Michael S. Rogers says he might have a solution. During a recent speech at Princeton University, Rogers suggested that tech companies could create a master multi-part encryption key capable of unlocking any device, the Washington Post reports. That way, if the key were broken into pieces, no single person would have the ability to use it. I don't want a back door, Roger said. I want a front door, and I want the door to, front door to have multiple locks, big locks. The suggestion comes as Congress considers a new framework for handling encrypted data. Government and law enforcement officials say that total encryption could stand in the way of national security operations, while leaders in the tech industry and advocacy groups say the government shouldn't have complete unobstructed access to citizens' private communications. During this year's South by Southwest Festival, Edward Snowden held a secret meeting in which he said tech companies needed to take a stronger position against NSA surveillance. He said companies should adopt more secure technology that could block surveillance altogether and championed end-to-end encryption, which would mean no one except the sender and recipient would have access to private communications. Roger suggests the adoption of a front door access will allow for essential security measures while keeping data safe from hackers or an outside attack. But opponents of the idea note that even broken into pieces, a master digital digital key creates security flaws. There is no way to do this where you don't have unintentional vulnerabilities. Donald Donaldson, chief cybersecurity advisor at the Commerce Department's National Institute of Standards and Technologies, told the Post. Yeah, basically, NSA are getting lazy. Because, um, um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, any door, back, front, side, whatever, creates openings. Openings mm-hmm. mean hackers can get in. Yes. Yeah. Simple as you that. Know, but all of this stuff, we don't think of privacy as being liberty. Privacy is liberty. I mean, I've, I've come to that conclusion. Privacy is actually liberty, okay? That's, that's the last form of liberty you have with both your hands that you can hold on to. Once that is gone, there is nothing left. If you don't get upset, if you don't say something, if you don't fight back against Section 215 at the very least, that's a huge problem. That's a huge problem. And it's boring. I know it's boring. But it just means that the government knows every single thing you do. And even if you're not wary of the government, you should be wary of the fact that when you put your information on government websites, the government shares that information with people they don't 
tell you who they are. They're probably advertisers. And that means God knows who has access to all of your data. If you used the website for Obamacare to create an account to look for health insurance, they gave all of your data, including how much money you made, your sex, whether you were pregnant, um, your age, whether you smoked or not. They gave that information to YouTube. Why does YouTube need to know that? How is YouTube essential to your health care? Does anyone have an answer for that? Nope. No, there isn't an answer. But they gave it they give it to a bunch of other companies. I just think YouTube's the funniest one of all to talk about because there's no reason for your health information to be given to YouTube. They don't need to know thing one about you. Do they? Okay. Real problem, um, the real problem with a lot of the Western countries, UK, USA... I mean, UK, GCHQ, USA, NSA, those particular uh, government agencies aren't fit for purpose. They're not doing what they're supposed to. Um, They're supposed to be monitoring for, well, NSA, monitoring for terrorist activity uh, Mm -hmm. and the like. Yes. But that's not what they're doing. No. (laughs) They're watching the people. They have increased their mandate beyond what they're set up for. Mm -hmm. Um. So they should technically be dismantled. Because what the NSA should be doing is they should just be looking for terrorists. And when they find information about terrorists, they should be passing it to either the FBI, if it's in the USA, or to the CIA, if it's abroad. But that's not what they do. They've got their own agents that go out and do further investigation. So it's just ridiculous. Well, it's not just that. You've got duplication of effort. Okay. Even if you're not upset that the DEA can watch you, the FBI can watch you, the NSA can watch you, the CIA can watch you, um, if you're not upset that the alphabet soup is watching you, be pissed off at the amount of money they're doing to their spending to do duplicate work. Be mad about that. That's your tax dollars. I mean, they're violating your digital liberty with your tax dollars. But they're doing it over and over and over and over again because the government, much like a schizophrenic, can't communicate well with others. It's it's just crazy. It's another reason for you to watch The Good Wife, uh, John. (laughs) It's got stuff about the NSA and spying in some of the episodes. (laughs) So obviously it's it's not just about lawyers, it's about politicians. So yeah, you have (laughs) the communications between the different legal departments even. You know, they show you that and, the, you know, different courts have different right. standards. And, you know, they're, mm-hmm. they're going to the Justice Department. Oh, we, we need information on this wiretap. No, you can't have mm-hmm. it. It's been classified. Yeah. In fact, you can't even ask us to say whether we've got a wiretap or not. <laughs> I mean, what? <laughs> well, if, if you look at the FISA court, and you say different courts have different standards. They do. Yeah. FISA court? only rejected 33 requests in its 30-year existence. Yeah. 33 requests, and you know they've had hundreds of thousands, if not millions of yeah. requests. So, uh, that's a problem. 
Okay. Let's take, uh, let's uh, do something different. A little different. Oh, this no, is from, it really scares people when we do things different. This is from Washington Post. And basically the reason I put this in here is because this is, in this story is the origins of how the government came to the conclusion that salt is bad for you. <laughs> <laughs> More scientists doubt salt is as bad for you as the government says. For years, the federal government has advised Americans that they're eating too much salt and that this excess contributes yearly to the deaths of tens of thousands of people. But unknown to many shoppers urged to buy foods that are low sodium and low salt, this long-standing warning has come under assault by scientists who say that typical American salt consumption is without risk. Moreover, according to studies published in recent years by pillars of the medical community, the low levels of salt recommended by the government might actually be dangerous. There is no longer any valid basis for the current SALT guidelines, says Andrew Mente, a professor at McMaster University in Ontario and one of the researchers involved in a major SALT study published last year by the New England Journal of Medicine. Quote, so why are we still scaring people about SALT? But the debate over dietary SALT is among the most contentious in the field of nutrition and other scientists, including the leadership of the American Heart Association, bastards, continue to support the decades-old warning. The result is that as the federal guidelines prepared its influential dietary guidelines for 2015, bureaucrats confront a quandary because they're bureaucrats, everything's a quandary. They must either retract one of their oldest dietary commandments or overlook these prominent new doubts. The U.S. dietary guidelines cover an array of nutritional issues, including cholesterol, which they're also thinking about changing, fats, and sugars. They have brought effects on American menus, shaping school lunches, guiding advertisers, and serve as a touchstone for reams of diet advice. Dennis Beyer, a professor at Baylor College of Medicine, said as the editor of the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition, he has been trying to stay neutral in what he considers the hot button, buttonist of topics. When you're making recommendations for 300 million people, you have to be concerned about any data that suggests harm, Byers said. A spokesperson for the Department of Health and Human Services said the federal guidelines will consider comments from the public and the Advice Fit Science Panel. Known as the Dietary Guidelines Advisory Committee, the panel in February generally reaffirmed the current SALT warning. No matter what the government comes up with on SALT, however, Americans may be left confused. The scientific question, how much is too much salt? There is one area of consensus. Both sides agree that eating too much salt, especially for people with high blood pressure, can be dangerous. The critical disagreement concerns how to define too much. Under current dietary guidelines, too much is more than 2,300 milligrams of sodium per day, the amount of sodium in a teaspoon of salt. For people over 50 and for African Americans, the current recommended intake is even lower, 1,500 milligrams per day. If the U.S. salt warnings are correct, Americans are indeed endangering themselves on a massive scale. Americans typically go way over the limit, ingesting about 3,500 milligrams per day. If the skeptics are correct, on the other hand, most Americans are fine. In their view, a typical healthy person can consume as much as 6,000 milligrams per day without significant health-raising risks. But consuming too little, somewhere below 3,000 milligrams, also raises health risks, they say. 
to understand how divided scientists are on salt, consider that even authorities with the American Heart Association, one of the organizations promoting the current salt limits, don't agree. The totality of evidence strongly suggests that Americans should be lowering their sodium intake, said Elliot Antman, Antman, president of the American Heart Association. The man's name is Antman. <laughs> Sorry. He wants Everyone- to steal salt. <laughs> Ant-Man the Avenger, I'm sorry. Um, Everyone agrees that current sodium intake is too high. This is the long-established view. It is based on the observation that, in some people, reducing salt consumption can lower blood pressure. Because high blood pressure is common and raises the risk of cardiovascular troubles, strict salt limits will benefit society, according to this view. None of this is persuasive to people like Susan O'Parrell, a former president of the American Heart Association. For one thing, the blood pressure reductions that come from staining from salt are relatively small on average because individuals vary widely in their reactions. An average person who reduces his or her salt intake from median levels to U.S. recommended levels may see a drop in blood pressure from 120 over 80 to 118 over 79, according to the American Heart Association figures. The current salt guidelines are based on almost nothing, says O'Parrell, a distinguished professor of medicine at the University of Alabama in Birmingham. Some people really want to hang on to this belief system on salt, but they're ignoring the evidence. How could something as simple as salt stymie scientists for so long? The answer is that despite the dietary claims that are made for all kinds of foods, actually substantiating how eating influences human health is notoriously difficult. While the diets and lifestyles of test animals are easily controlled, humans and their whims introduce an array of murky variables, making people less than ideal subjects for what scientists call randomized controlled trials, their their preferred form of research. This is especially true when the experts go on for years, as diet research often does. Experiments. So, go on for years. Okay. In the absence... Of such experiments, scientists are forced to consider lesser types of evidence, and in recent years, the debate appears to have tilted in the skeptics' favor. In 2013, the Institute of Medicine published a major review of the evidence connecting salt consumption health outcomes. There was insufficient proof, the panel concluded, that heating the U.S. recommended limit on sodium consumption improved health outcomes. Then this past August, the New England Journal of Medicine published the results of a massive research effort known as the PURE study. It indicated that people who conform to U.S. recommended limits actually have more heart trouble. To explain these findings, these researchers pointed to studies suggesting that low sodium may stimulate the production of renin, a hormone that may have harmful effects on blood vessels. While food studies are often financed by the industry, the PURE study in the New England Journal of Medicine and Institute of Medicine study were funded by the government and other sources. Remote Tribes, Politics, and Science Since their inception more than 30 years ago, the SALT guidelines have drawn criticism. Some of the earliest notions that Americans were eating too much salt arose from international comparisons. It turned out that in some cultures, especially in isolated ones, people consumed less salt and had lower blood pressure. In one influential 1973 paper, University of Michigan anthropologist Lillian Globerman collected statistics for 27 different populations. It showed the lowest blood pressures were among African Bushmen, the Chimbu of New Guinea, the Kajara of Brazil, and Eskimos. Each consumed exceptionally low salt levels. Maybe, Gleiberman suggested, human bodies had not adapted to higher salt available in modern societies. 
My major hypothesis was that people ate much less salt in prehistoric times, Gleberman, now retired, said by phone recently, and that our bodies may not be prepared for the larger amounts of salt now available to us. But she said her paper was intended to inspire more research, not serve as the basis of dietary guidelines. Those remote people, she said, are too different from modern populations to make sound comparisons. They have a simpler life. They don't have obesity, diabetes, and the other problems we have. We can't look at a no-salt culture and say, if we just do that, we'd be okay. I have friends who won't eat anything with salt, she says. I tell them they're foolish. Nevertheless, when a Senate committee led by Senator George McGovern in 1977 set out to issue national dietary goals, the international comparisons paid a role. There was not much else to go on. Scientists told the committee there was general agreement that very high salt consumption could be harmful. But were Americans eating too much? That was a matter of dispute. There's no doubt that excess salt, gross excesses, can produce high blood pressure in specific populations. Robert I. Levy, director of the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute, testified to the committee, according to the transcript. The problem is that demonstrating the efficiency of salt lowering in the American free-living population. In formulating their salt recommendations, the committee looked to the works of George R. Meanly and Harold D. Batraby, researchers at Louisiana State University, who made two arguments for restricting salt. First, they said our ancestors, primal herbivorous people, probably consumed no more than 600 milligrams of salt per day far less than today, and that our bodies have yet to adjust to the amount of salt available in modern society. Second, they noted, in some people, lowering salt consumption lowered blood pressure. Since about 20% of American adults at the time had high blood pressure, reducing salt consumption would result in the, in the reduction of much suffering. But even meanly in Batterby, noted the complexity of the issue, noting in that it was difficult to say just how poisonous salt is, or as they put it, to, quote, document its toxicity. Despite the uncertainty, the committee advised Americans in dietary goals to reduce their salt consumption to very, very, very low levels, 1,200 milligrams of sodium per day. That is even lower than today's most restrictive recommendations. Wherever that figure comes from, it didn't last long. By November, the committee issued another set of guidelines that raised the dietary amount to 2,000 milligrams, but that didn't last long either. Three years later, the federal bureaucracy, not the Senate committee, issued its dietary advice. It was the first version of the dietary guidelines. It advised people to lower their salt consumption, but did not specify an upper limit. Enter salt, more doubts on the revival of a salt limit. So the question lingered. The dietary guidelines said Americans were eating too much salt, but how much was too much? In 1984, a major worldwide study known as Intrasalt was launched, with scientists testing more than 10,000 people from 52 different populations. The study was funded by the U.S. government, a British charitable trust, and other world groups. Yet Intrasalt, too, failed to settle the argument. When the results were published in 1988, many of the findings undercut the salt orthodoxy. In comparisons of populations, there was little proof that societies that consumed more salt suffered from higher blood pressure. For example, while South Koreans consumed vast amounts of salt and had low blood pressures, the opposite was true for a Belgian population. One other item, however, did favor salt restrictions. In places where more salt was consumed, blood pressures rose more with age. Both sides declared a victory. 
Then despite the muddle, Intersalt became the basis for strict U.S. salt guidelines with the 1995 Dietary Guidelines recommending holding to just about today's limit of 2,300 milligrams per day. It takes some tracing back to see that Intersalt is the basis of those guidelines, but the academic references wind back as follows. The 1995 guidelines cited an FDA report, which cited a report called Diet and Health from the National Academy of Sciences, which in turn cited the intersalt findings. At each step, scientists had to clear their uncertainty. The salt limit had become a fixture of U.S. dietary advice. The 2015 debate. Many experts expect that the 2015 dietary guidelines will stick to the existing 2,300 milligram limit. Already, the 15-member advisory panel in February recommended keeping the limit, though withdrew support for the even stricter 1,500-milligram limit for African Americans and people over 50. It further called for measures to remove salt from American foods. Cheryl Anderson, a nutrition expert at the University of California, San Diego, who led the advisory advisory panel Sodium Working Group, said the government should continue to offer SALT guidelines despite some of the recent findings that have called them into question. Of course they did, because that's how science is done. Notice something, observe it, notice that it correlates across studies, and fucking ignore it. One of the major critical studies was the Pure Investigation, which included more than 100,000 people and was published in the New England Journal of Medicine. Anderson said it was respectable and an important contribution. But, she said, such studies may be misleading because researchers take only a limited number of urine samples. And, she said, that type of research, known as observational studies, may suffer from a problem known as reverse causality. That is, while the data suggests that low-salt diets may have caused cardiovascular problems, maybe it was just the reverse, that pre-existing cardiovascular problems had led people to eat low-salt diets. The authors of the Pure study took steps to minimize such bias, but at the end, Anderson said, the weight of the evidence favored the old salt warning. We can't take one study in isolation, Anderson said. We placed the nuance in the context of the body of literature on sodium and ignored everything else, and we put the strongest recommendations forward. Wow, somebody like listening from the University of California ignoring new research. I know. Hmm, oh my God, who'd have thought such a fucking thing was even possible? <laughs> you know... Obviously, it, just, it has to be evidence all collected before before 1970. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. They only oh, ever based their decisions you know, on that. But yeah. you know, none of this matters. It's it's and it's anecdotal evidence. It it just doesn't. I see now. I I'm trying to pronounce that word correctly, so Upstom Ant- doesn't mean any shit about it. Anecdotal, uh, antic, anecdotal. And I say that, and he tells me there's no T in it, and I'm like, yeah. you're just picking on the way I talk. But because we're on the internet, we're not real. We're not real evidence. You know, we don't we, we don't count. So I'm sure these salt studies, they they just don't count. Because oh my god, every bit of fucking evidence is published on the internet, you fucking quack. Yeah, by the way, did you don't listen uh, that that bit from Miss Anderson? It'll be the next set of arguments that uh, the mechanic and his crew use. They'll eventually admit we're not anecdotes and start saying it's reverse causality. Because they'll admit there's causation, but that's yeah, reverse. Yeah. That, well, this is just how, how they, well, this is how they ignore evidence. This is how they ignore us. This is how they ignore everything known to man that they don't want to deal with. Yeah, basically they just, yeah, we believe that bit of research. 
we're going to ignore <laughs> that bit of research. Well, we saw we what like they. It. Well, we saw what they did with Swedish Match. Yeah, and if you read Carl's blog of it, I'm so sorry. That was a horrible read. It was a more horrible watch. Um, they're just like, oh, we're afraid. We're afraid. We're afraid. When in the fuck does we are afraid become the basis for scientific truth gathering? Somebody please tell me. Uh, when you work for public health. <laughs> public health, the scaredy cats of the health system. Great. Well, it, it, it stems from them nicking the the um oh I can't remember that my my mind's done a blank basically the, the argument they always use oh well we're trying we're taking action now to stop it becoming a problem and they've nicked this from climate <laughs> research it's, it's not a medical thing it's from climate well, research well climate research is some of it not all of it. Some of it is dodgy at best. Yeah. Um, it's all based on statistics. Um, well, it is based on statistics, but I mean, you know, if they were actually right, if Al Gore were actually right, I would not be here right now. I mean, there is global warming, but nobody's exactly sure of. Well, how there's much global we're warming, having. there's global cooling. Yeah. I, you know, in the 1970s, they said that the Earth was going to have a major ice age. We're all going to freeze to death. Is everyone still here? No. Well, no, not everyone, but a lot of people are still here. <laughs> so uh, they were wrong on that. They're wrong on a lot of things. I, yeah. And they pointedly, flat out fucking ignore what they don't want to deal with. Well, the, the I mean, smarter climate scientists say the evidence suggests humans are having an impact in causing excess global warming. They, they're but, never definite on it <laughs> because but, they're but, still collecting data. Well, <laughs> you know, yeah. There's a lot of data to collect. Yeah. I mean, but if you look at, well, if you look at. Well, let's look at tree rings and look at the Little Ice Age. And you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Ice skating on the Thames. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was a really hard period of time. Yeah. The evidence from that era, it, it was a pretty brutal time in our history. And it did happen. And it lasted about 50 years. And it was terrible. And you can see it in tree rings. Um, but a lot of the problems... I think can be, how can I put this without sounding quacky? A lot of the problems are us, but I think a lot of the problems are that we're too close together. We need to, we do need to spread out a little more. We're all crowded into little areas. And well, the the little ice age is, is the example that they are looking at more closely because it appears there's an awful lot of volcanic activity not long before that started. Well, so you know, it's probably due to do with carbon dioxide and sulfur in the air. Well, so, ash clouds. Yeah, Don't forget exactly. when yeah. um, when the last big eruption we had here. I mean, we had the coldest summers we'd had for about three or four years until that ash cloud went away. Well, that when, doesn't when, just uh, go away. Yeah, when Krakatoa went off, it changed weather patterns worldwide for five years. Yeah. <laughs> I mean. Imagine what would happen if the ring of fire started erupting all at once. 
right now. Constantly. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. People are looking at those models. <laughs> yeah. And they, I think they bloody need to. They well, bloody the, well need to. The worrying one for where you live. Uh, Yellowstone? Yellowstone, yes. Yeah, well, Yellowstone. The overdue super volcano. That's a good well, one. Well, it's not even overdue. I don't. I don't watch a lot of TV. I do watch a lot of nature live streams. I do that to calm myself the fuck I mean, down. You because if you read all this stuff, the park you... is rising by a centimeter a year or something. Well, it's not just that. It was about two weeks ago. I watch a lot of live streams, and I watch a lot of live streams because not that I'm easily bored, but nature live streams <laughs> tend to be soothing after you read a lot of this shit. So, while watching the Yellowstone cameras. I see people in yellow come along. <laughs> I see the cameras move and they haven't moved back yet. I'm like, um, what, what that's unusual. Yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> so I know that sounds crazy, but I did see it with my own two eyes. So I feel like I can say that. Well, yeah, I mean, and, just look at Iceland. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, they had one volcano go off and it grounded in most airlines <laughs> across Europe. I know. For a week. <laughs> but I, that's the kind of climate change we can't do anything about. Yeah. And that is unrelated to us, and that is going to cause probably but, but it's the, it's pretty close to a it's mass the deniers that It's the deniers that say, us producing all our clouds of shit we're putting into the air. Oh, no, that but doesn't I, have any effect at all. Of course it does. We just does, don't know how much. <laughs> it it does, but it's not all us. To no. say it's all us is irresponsible. Well, it's, it's only and it's the, doing the yeah, same again, thing that the government did. Yeah, again, the pro the pro global warming people. It's only the crazies that are taking the the strict line that oh humans oh we caused it all. You're like mm, yeah. yeah. Well, you can't do anything about that. It is quarter past seven. Do so you want to see right. if Alex is ready? Oh, I suppose I better. Eh? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we can go on about. Or he this falls in a asleep bit. or ends up <laughs> oh, doing <yeah>. work. <laughs> yeah, he might be wrapped up in calls to action. Poor guy. Well, let's see if he will answer. Okay. I'm going to mute my damn microphone now. <laughs> I don't know Good why. Good evening, Alex. Uh, hello. Hi. Um. <laughs> Sorry, I answered before I put my headphones on. So That's okay. Um, good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the CASA update for the week of 4-13-2015. Hi, Alex. How are you? Tired. Yeah, I bet you are. Um, where to begin? I've been trying to figure that out all evening. Okay. Um <laughs> In, in between taking a nap and, uh, yeah, making coffee. It's, it's pretty bad. I mean, Hawaii is tremendously bad. The, Hawaii is kind of the one bright spot for me anyway because they have uh, a local group that's pretty well organized and keeping tabs on this stuff. Well, uh, they say that they, they said today, you heard what they said, right? No, I, I, I was at work all day, so I kind of missed whatever. Should, should. Okay, why don't you start, and um, I, I will go get what Hawaii sent out. Go ahead. 
um, well, I was going to say that if, if we had to pay as much attention as they are regarding Hawaii, uh, I think I'd be pulling my hair out because there's just so many bills and, uh, they, they really are sort of tackling it from all angles down there. Um, they are, I'm sticking this in your chat so you can, you, your chat with me so you can read it if you want, because they sent that out to everybody today. Oh, okay. Yeah. This was the one I think, uh, uh, Yeah, we're seeing this. Uh, I, I am now getting Hawaii and Oregon confused um, okay. because of stuff like this. Uh, so, and I'm not exactly certain what this procedural trick is they're talking about, but um, essentially uh, this uh, senator was able to get this bill. Was it? brought back from the dead and uh, <laughs> sort of reintroduced. And now it all of a sudden it has a hearing for tomorrow. Um, and so Hawaii Vapors sort of was forced to scramble over the weekend and get people active and sending in testimony, um, <clears throat> which anyone living in Hawaii, uh, please check out Hawaii Vapors United. They have put together a web tool that is pretty simple and clean and deposit to your comment directly uh, on, I guess it's a, it's a site where you can submit testimony. Um, so it's, they've made it, it's one of the few places where, I guess it's one of the few places you can actually do that online. And uh, um, yeah, so it, it's, it's certainly, it's kind of a unique setup that they've got and they've, taken a lot of effort to make this easy for Hawaii advocates to get involved. <sighs> yeah. Yay. So, okay. You, you mentioned, I, I, guess, I guess I should mention that, uh, that I think HB 940 has to do with indoor use. It's sort of a public use ban yes. issue, but, what Hawaii is concerned with is very much like California that once vaping is described as tobacco anywhere in the statutes, it will make it easier for someone else to come along and mm -hmm. subject, um, subject vapor products to the rest of the tobacco regulations, especially taxes um, that we are, uh, very concerned about. Yeah. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't this stuff make you want to start drinking? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. I don't know, but then I wouldn't be able to, you know, have my stuff together enough to be effective, whatever. Um. <laughs> <sighs> so what's next? Um, oh, while that's we were you, the, not me. <laughs> while, while we were on the topic of procedural magic, um, we got a tip over the weekend, and it just didn't wasn't able to put anything together. I think there was a hearing today, um, Oregon. So last week, uh, Oregon. SB 417, which was sort of a licensing bill, um, 
it, it wasn't, it didn't have a lot of potential. Uh, and in fact, it's it sort of, it's not listed as such, but it, it essentially died in committee. Um, and uh, we actually had intel saying that that was going to be the case, that it was just sort of going to flounder around in this committee uh, for the rest of the session and not really go anywhere. Uh, so that having been the case, the bill's sponsor took all the language from 417 and gutted another bill that was sort of this, uh, you know, like citizens right to healthcare kind of bill, completely unrelated to tobacco or vaping or anything. So he took 417 and has substituted it for the language of this entire bill. Just like, it, it kind of like, it's, it, it like took a zombie bill and then put, you know, this in its place. Um, at least I, I sort of imagine that might be the proper word to use for that. Um, and so that had a hearing today. And so all of this happened on Friday, I think. And so the, then they were able to give notice and say, that, okay, now we're going to have a hearing on it on Monday. Um, so, I mean, the, the fingers crossed point of view is that, well, you know, it didn't do very well as a different number. Mm -hmm. I don't know why it would do much better now. Um, it's still the same bill um, and whatnot. But uh, that's me just trying to make myself feel better for not putting anything <laughs> together over the weekend. Um, I, I, but I saw, don't forget, on Friday I went in and I saw the list. I understand why you didn't put anything together. Yeah. yeah it's... <sighs> Yeah. Um, the good news was I, we did get caught up on some of the local alerts. Um, for whatever reason, we've been getting some pretty decent notice about local stuff. And I have some, I think I have two more to put out um, this week that are um, about a week or so away. Um, but, uh, yeah, we did crank out some local stuff on Saturday and Sunday. Um and one of them in particular deserves a little bit of discussion. Um, I believe it was, oh no, I'm still working on it. Ah, it's Riverbank. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> uh, is, is that the one where I said to you I didn't? No. Well, it might be actually. Uh, you, you're That's the one the... That, that, that put the, all the info together for me. Um, but I'm still working on this. This is, this has a hearing tomorrow. So I need to get this done. <laughs> um, okay. ah, man, I thought I had more time with this. Well, it's, it's, it's actually, it's a step in the right direction. So I'm, I'm sort of trying to figure out how to, uh, approach this. Um, it's, it's something I think that should be carefully worded both, you know, for our sake and for the sake of anybody who wishes to testify or write emails. What's happening is, since last year, Riverbank has had a moratorium on establishing new uh, vapor lounges, hookah bars. Uh, I don't know if they, I don't know if they put a moratorium on on just retail shops. But I mean, what what is a vape shop without a place to sit and vape? Um, 
So now there's, and, and they actually at some point, it, it started as a 45-day moratorium, and then they extended it. And so now they're coming back and they're revisiting it, and they're talking about issuing conditional use permits. So that would allow for people to open up new vapor lounges and so on. Um, but there are some caveats there, like the 1,000-foot rule. Uh, you have to be 1,000 feet from the, ne the next closest tobacco retailer. You have to be 1,000 feet from a school, a church, a daycare center, et cetera. Um, so it's certainly a step in the right direction in that they are allowing people to establish these types of businesses, but it's still coming with all of the, the kind of antsy, uh, you know, one of these days we're going to thin the herd kind of uh, language in there. Um, so I, I, I want to be thoughtful about it, but um, anybody who is in Riverbank, uh, just know that, that you have an opportunity tomorrow to um, at least be somewhat I, I don't want to put our stamp of approval on it because it's really not an ideal situation. I'm not naive enough to deal in ideals, but um, I do believe that we can get better, um, <laughs> certainly better than this. Um, but uh, it is something that people might want to consider voicing some sort of positive feelings for. Um, yeah. Well, at least parts of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah the, 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 the step in the direction of now these types of businesses can open up in Riverbank, that's, that's certainly something that everyone should be supportive of. Um, mm -hmm. So hopefully I'll get that worked out uh, this evening and, and hopefully put something out. Okay. And that's, that's Riverbank, California. Um, what else did we throw out there? Uh, of course, on the other side of the spectrum, uh, El Cerrito, California, is entertaining, beginning a moratorium on vapor shops. Uh, and that start that hearing is on Wednesday the 15th. Um, I think that also comes along with um, an indoor use ban, no self-service displays, and uh, pro prohibiting samples, which is sort of when um, you have prohibited use indoors. Um, also, it looks like there is a flavor ban included in that. Um, and I'm not entirely certain where El Cerrito is. Um, I keep thinking that these are both Bay Area cities. Um, so, yes. So, uh, El Cerrito is uh, just north of Berkeley. Okay. So, yeah, all these people are getting together, and they're talking about how they can uh, damage public health, and they all live next to each other. <laughs> well, they all have that wonderful University of California influence, so that's helpful. Yeah. I'm really surprised nobody's filed complaints against them for some of the stuff they've said, but that's just me. I'm, I'm, I'm well, yeah, I'm, I'm sure someone out there is working on it. <laughs> oh, no doubt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, 
Um, what else did we had? I'll, I'll just rattle these off. There's two more uh, well, um, that we put out this weekend. Three more uh, that we put out this weekend. Um, <laughs> Livermore, California. Uh, you're looking at an indoor use ban that is being discussed um, tonight at 7 o'clock. So Californians, in two and a half hours, you've got a city council hearing to go to. Um, Houston, Houston, California. Uh, that is also tonight at 7 p.m. Um, another indoor use ban would treat vaping like smoking. And Prior Lake, Minnesota, also meeting tonight. Uh, I guess that's in Minnesota's central time, right? Yeah. So in 30 minutes, uh, that city that that city council hearing begins. But unfortunately, I was able to get these out on Saturday, I believe. And of course, um, Minnesota Vapors Advocacy has issued a call to action for this as well. So, um, and that's been up for a little bit. So they, they've they've uh, people in uh, Prior Lake, Minnesota, are well informed or should be about this. Um, and then, so what's happening this week? <laughs> Hold on, I have to shut my window. I'll be right back. Okay. Doesn't this sound fun? Don't don't you just want to? Don't you just want to come have fun with us? <clears throat> I, I live across the street from a, a multi-sport sports field, so every now and then I get the, the sound of the PA coming in through the front. Nice. <sighs> So, go ahead. Let's see. Uh, so, uh, what's on tap for this week, Alex? Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> that's a great question. Um, we are looking at. Uh, we need to update Delaware. Uh, Greg just popped us a message uh, that um, HB is it HB five uh, is going to likely be heard in the Delaware House uh, on as early as April 20th. Um, so we have an existing call to action for that, um, making phone calls and sending emails. Um, it looks like we've had some pretty light participation there. Um, uh, I don't know how uh, local advocates are faring with, with bringing out uh, vendors and consumers, but uh, uh, obviously we'll try to reboost that a little bit and see if we can get everyone to contact representatives. Uh, so Delaware is on the move. Um, we're also looking at Louisiana has a tax bill. Um, uh, let me get the number here. Did I even write that down? There we go. HB 427. Um, this is another one of those uh, five cent per milliliter tax on e-liquid, um, and uh, it uh, actually I think we have I think this is live. Am I looking at the right thing here? I, I guess could. for some reason I thought we were holding off on this, but uh, maybe I would just went ahead and released it anyway because we we're wild and crazy advocates. <laughs> um, uh, 
So maybe this is old news. Uh, no, this is not old news. We haven't, it's, it's up, but we haven't publicized it yet. I was actually waiting to hear back from some local advocates, um, some people that kind of got organized uh, around the time that the indoor use ban was being discussed in New Orleans. Right. So uh, we have a call to action to put out. Uh, pretty much at our leisure, HB 427 would enact a five cent per milliliter tax on e-liquid. It would also double the wholesale tax on uh, uh, smokeless tobacco from 20% to 40%. Uh, yeah. Oh, nothing beats Florida for 99% of wholesale. That's a Is nice that your, that, That's yeah. your smokeless tax? Yeah. That's my smokeless tax here. That's why I can't use snooze anymore. I can't afford is that, it. Is that even higher? That's Is that higher than what they charge on cigarettes? Yeah. That's outrageous. Yeah. Well, you know, it, harm means nothing to these people. They don't yeah, care about don't, harm. They just want their money. I don't really want to talk smack about your state to your face, but. Uh, uh, you can. That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. I live I, here. I understand. Uh, I have my. Uh, I have family there. I'm not fond of of Florida. I, there's <laughs> things about Florida I really like, but you know, it, mostly it's kind of yeah. like, do you miss the entire state of Florida? And then there's silence. Yeah, that's kind of how it is here. <laughs> so. Yeah, I had a good time in Tampa. Um, I, I will. I will say that. Well, uh, different parts of. Florida are different. Yeah. The fleas and somebody, somebody in the chat just said the fleas and the humidity are great. No, what you really need to experience are the mosquitoes here. They're like pterodactyls. Yeah, mosquitoes in Florida are horrible. Yeah, they are. Fleas, that's, man, that's, uh, <laughs> if you've got fleas in Florida. Sand um, fleas, we do. You oh, don't want to go to the beach. Sand fleas. Oh, yeah, you don't. Sand fleas, yeah. Well, we have sand fleas. We also have big, giant, freaking iguanas that run after you on the beaches. That's fun. Nice. You lay down too close to them, and they're like, hey, 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 that's our breeding area. <laughs> so, that's hot. yeah. No. <laughs> they get really big here. So, no. Everything about Florida is odd. <laughs> so, um, we don't have a call to action out for Florida yet. So, Julie has to listen to all of this. So I, I, I went into this <laughs> thinking like, I'm going to keep it short for Julie this week. Um, so I guess I'll just apologize now for that. Oh, it's, it's not really long yet. It's only 20 some minutes. If you keep it under 30, she's cool with it. I think. Cool. <laughs> Um, so we discussed Hawaii up front, uh, but we also have a call to action for Maine, uh, for LD1108. Um, this is an indoor use ban. Um, and that is, that was heard today. Ah, look at that. Um, so I guess we'll figure out what happened with that. We'll have an update on that next week. Next week, or yeah, something will happen with it tomorrow, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, I actually didn't even check the numbers on how many people. I, mean, I don't think we have a whole lot of people in Maine. Um, but uh, this is another one that we put out over the weekend. Mm -hmm. And as everybody knows, 
putting stuff out on a Saturday or Sunday on yeah. the internet is not a good thing to do. Um, uh, it's not ideal. Pay attention. So I just want to, from my own curiosity, I want to see if we got any traffic on Maine. Ooh, actually, you know, for putting something out on a Saturday, uh, Maine <laughs> is slightly more involved than the state of Delaware. So, um, you two folks, you, we can tie Maine and Delaware together and watch them duke it out and see who advocates <laughs> harder for these products. Um, but uh, well, to be fair, we have more people in Maine uh, wow. that are that are actually received the message. So uh, thank you, Maine, for stepping up to the plate and uh, and getting out the email writing. Um, well hopefully, we'll have a uh, at the very least informative update for you soon. <laughs> <sighs> Massachusetts is also something that's going to happen this week. Um, there's a couple of, uh, hold on a second. Um, there's a couple of things going on. Um, we are watching a bill and I guess it's a bill, uh, the attorney general uh, has proposed um, uh, what is it 940 CMR, which I believe CMR stands for um, Codes of Massachusetts Revised, something like that. Okay. Um, and so this is 940 CMR, and it essentially brings vapor products under the tobacco regulations. So, so uh, subjecting them to advertising restrictions, um, uh, of course, no selling to minors. Um, I believe there's some child-resistant packaging in there, perhaps uh, labeling regulations, uh, and some of this might actually affect online sales. Uh, it sort of goes into a process by which you can verify age, which entails sending in a photocopy of a valid government-issued ID. Uh, I believe that since we have evolved past smoke signals and, and fax machines, there's most <laughs> likely an easier way to do that. But um, So we'll get into that. But uh, since this is something that the Attorney General is proposing, it's not going before the legislature and the legislature doesn't have to sign off on this. Right. The AG is holding a hearing and I believe that's on the 24th until that time, Massachusetts residents can submit comments on this proposed regulation. Um, and it's as simple as sending an email. So we're going to do what we do for every other bit of proposed legislation and uh, put together a well thought out uh, pre-written letter with mm -hmm. compelling talking points and you can provide your personal story or you can just delete our letter and write whatever you want, um, hopefully tasteful and informative, uh, and then click and send that in. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to put that together in the next day or two. <sighs> Then there's another bill that I don't even have on my list. Um, and so I'm not going to go hunting for it because I'm already going long. Um, 
I think it's I think it's uh, like it's a House Bill twenty fifty. Okay. Could be wrong. Now that I've said it, I'm going to feel bad if I don't. <laughs> I mean, Karen went to the effort of you know paying attention to this stuff, so yeah. Um, The New England vapors are getting very involved in that too. So I yeah. mean, the fact that they're advocating for themselves is very impressive. I love that. Yeah. Hi, Jeannie. Um, yeah, there's. Uh, I have a flyer here from Savannah, Massachusetts. Um, they will be, I believe. I don't know if this is a rally or I, I think this is probably a committee hearing for April 23rd. They didn't put a bill number in here. Um, I should probably vet this before I broadcast this. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, I've got time. I've got 10 days before this, this rally. So, um, uh, we'll get back to that next week. Um, and yeah, apparently there is a hearing on the 23rd. Um, I don't know if that is for the attorney general's bill or if that's for this other 2050. Um, so I'll have to look into that. I apologize. I, I, Massachusetts is one of the things that I wanted to give out more details for tonight. Massachusetts think, is ridiculously hard, though. And we've talked about it before, just the way everything's interlinked together. And they just don't make it easy. And they don't make it easy and they don't make it transparent on purpose. The harder they make it, the better it is for them. The less transparent it is, the better it is for them. Because look at, look at, the issues we're having just trying to discuss it, you know, they're, you know, that that all works out in their favor. But, you know, we have, we have Alex, the call to action man here. So we're, we're doing good. I need a cape. We'll get you a cape, but I, I still want my Iron Man suit. So I don't have we sufficiently um, Minnesota should uh, should get a mention. I believe that is scheduled for a hearing. Uh, that was I think something was heard today. Is that correct? Um, Do you want me to no. open horrible uh, list? Senate Taxes Committee uh, is scheduled a hearing for SF twenty twenty five. Um, and this will be for 8.30 this Wednesday, April 15th, at the State Capitol, Room 15. Um, again, MN Va- Minnesota's Vapors Advocacy, Minnesota Vapors Advocacy has been all over this stuff, and uh, I believe they have a pretty well-developed email list and are uh, pretty instrumental in getting the word out. So they have a call to action. We have a call to action. And this is a huge tax increase. If you couldn't, I, you know, Minnesota is the only other state 
besides North Carolina, and North Carolina's tax isn't even in effect yet. Minnesota is the only state with an actual tax on these products, 95%. Yeah. And they're going to raise that up. <laughs> just, just stupid. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, that's, there is a laugher curve. Yeah. These, pe- these people don't believe it, but there is one. I got a, Paul, Paul Blair from Americans for Tax Reform shot me a, a little Facebook message with a link to that article at like 1230 last night. And, <laughs> so uh, I appreciate that. And so I think it's something that uh, if you don't already know it, uh, that, you know, these excessive taxes on, I would say any product basically just feeds the black market. Um, oh, it does. So, uh, yeah, that's, uh, it's, really... it's not helpful. It's just governments being, um, insanely optimistic about their own horrible policies when what they should be doing is cutting from wasteful government programs and putting it into useful government programs. That's yeah. how everybody else lives. <laughs> and in the, in the case of New York, it's not even a matter of being optimistic. It's just that's sort of outright denial. Well, that's stupidity. That's, that's stupidity. I, from I, New York. I chalk it up to actual mental illness. I, 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 I mean, I it's like seriously mentally ill. If you had a human being going, a, you know, a single person going that far off the rails, you would you would be talking about hospitalizing them because they're potentially oh, they're a danger so, to themselves or other people. But so, there's so many of them. Uh, you know, New York, California, so many people need to be institutionalized and most of them are involved in tobacco control or the government. So that's reassuring. <laughs> did, you, did you see the photo that I posted yesterday, Jan? Was it yesterday? Yeah, it was yesterday. You do realize Facebook is a polarizing experience, right? They have us all set in our own little groups so we don't all really see each other. I had to go back in and resubscribe to a bunch of my friends' fucking page feeds so i don't get to see everything you guys don't see me i don't see you unless i directly go to your page that's a problem and that's a lovely new facebook algorithm thank you for the ai it's it's (laughs) working fantastic it's like when i post a susie and the banshees video and they recommend a madonna video for me i'm like what do they even have in common i don't know i don't get it no they don't know either Oh. But they, they sure as hell know the only things I want to read on Facebook are uh, Ars Technica and Anarchy Ball. So that's what they've got me subscribed to. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Jeannie. Go ahead. Oh, you're, you're fine. We, um, we had to go out. Um, we were helping our oldest daughter move into her new place over the weekend. And um, I needed to get some paper towels and some stuff for her place so that, you know, I could clean the stuff I wanted clean right before my grants move in anyway so i'm sitting there in the parking lot and it this is the dollar general of course i mean we're bargain outlet right right and there is this sign hanging there for some marlboro brand some that i never even heard of i didn't even realize that marlboro made these things but anyway eight this is in new york state eight dollars and 52 cents before tax now 
you and I both know that in tobacco country, that pack of cigarettes is $3. Mm-hmm. So that tells you how much money New York State is making off of them, right? Mm-hmm. And we wonder why New York State acts crazy and insane. Well, yeah, we stress that on your show every week. Um, these people are just looking for ways to keep feeding this giant hungry machine that they call big government. Yep. And they're never spending the money on what they say they're going to spend it on. Well, but no, what's, really. what's, what's really interesting about it is that they're not actually generating. I mean, this isn't speculation anymore. They're just, they're not actually generating the tax the, revenue. They, that well, they, they aren't. That they seem to puff their chests up about. I mean, it, and they're certainly not using it for, you know, educational purposes to tell kids why they shouldn't smoke. I mean, it's, uh, but it's it's not just that. I mean, a lot of that ties into the master settlement agreement money. Um, not even the money, but they've pre-sold bonds on this. The bond market on this is going to be freaking worthless in about a year and a half. That's why they're coming after vaping so hard. Otherwise, the states are going to have no source of revenue. I mean, you realize that. We've gotten mm-hmm. to the point that we're big enough that we can crush the state. We can. Us. Vapors. We can make the state go away. I want you to just wrap your head around that thought for a minute and let it sink in good and deep. And then when you think everything we're doing is hopeless, it really isn't. Because the, (laughs) the easiest way to vote is with your dollars. Support what supports you with your money. Um, And if your state's not going to support you, then you're probably certainly going to turn to the black market, which should scare the hell out of them if they cared about you as human beings. Well, I guess that explains the lack of concern. (laughs) I think so. (laughs) So you've got to admit, though, that thought, that thought that you think you're completely ineffective and nothing you're doing, nothing you do matters. It does. It's changing everything. It's changing every discussion we're having as a group of human beings about how the government is involved with our lives. That's, there's nothing more powerful than that. Nothing. Yeah. I can't remember if, uh, we, brought this up or I I also heard this recently and um, just kind of want to bring it up again. Um, Something that um, again, Paul Blair had pointed out uh, to us in sort of a side group chat was that uh, the homeschoolers are a powerful political force. Mm -hmm. Politicians are absolutely afraid of them. And they are relatively small in comparison to the number of vapors. Right. So, you know, the more participation we have, the more registered voters we have in our ranks, Mm -hmm. um, the more organized we are, both industry and consumers, we, we really do present a formidable political force in the coming years. And, uh, to me, that's, um, that's pretty encouraging. I, and I, I just, I don't know, I feel like we should probably share that more often. Um, yeah. and, and I mean, 
not everybody goes in for the whole smash the state thing, but um, uh, <laughs> I do believe that vaping and advocating for access to these products is probably one of the most subversive things that you, that people can be doing right now. And, I and do it, too. You know, it really does touch on a lot of different policymaking conversations. So, um, you know, at the end of the day, this isn't just about fruity flavored e-liquid. This is, um, this is about policymaking and, and influence. Do you, it is. do you know why they dislike homeschoolers so much, Alex? Um, I don't actually. Right. Well, I have a, I have a theory on that. Um, my son, my son is homeschooled by the way. Um, and it's not so much that um, I think they fear them. I think what they fear is the fact that when you enroll your child in a homeschooling program or a cyber schooling program, um, they have to fork over that money to the institution you've enrolled your child in. Okay. Um, my son gets brand new textbooks mm. every year for every one of his classes, and they're his. My son has brand new tech equipment. He has brand new laptop. He has brand new printer. He has um, he has a pen that if he traces it over a word, it will not only read him the word, but it will give him the definition of this word. Now, had my child still been in public school, he wouldn't have any of that, Alex. Wow. And if the school system, if public, if the public school system goes upside down, you realize that these states are on the hook for these retirement accounts, correct? Mm-hmm. It, it, it all comes back to being about the money again. Everything with the state that they ever say that is about your health and welfare or it's about your child's learning and it's about your child's socialization skills. Bullshit. It, it's always about the money. Well, it's always about the money. It's always been about the money. It will always be about the money. Um, I think I've said this to Alex before. I think Lysander Spooner had a valid point. I think Larkin Rose has a really good point. It's probably not the place to talk about these things, but um, if you're at all interested, you'll look into their ideas because you can just type their names into Google. And um, you'll understand why... What we're doing now has implications for the future. I'm not trying to make too much out of this, and I'm not trying to sound too hopeful. Nothing we do is ever going to be easy, but nothing worth doing is ever easy. And it all comes down to you having a voice in your government and how it affects you. That's what's really important. So, <laughs> so, yeah, you got your rah-rah. Um, <laughs> this is why you should advocate um, part of the update. <laughs> yeah. So, There's a couple of other topics that I, I don't think that we touched on. More back to, you know, vaping-specific stuff. Uh, some okay. late, late breaking news uh, at, as of today. Uh, the, the FDA has issued warning letters to retailers who have made claims uh, in violation of uh, existing FDA regulations. Yeah, you know, when people talk about this being the Wild West and there's no, no regulations, 
uh, that's actually incorrect. There are regulations that manufacturers and sellers of these products are subject to. And one of those is you can't claim things like these are FDA approved and you can't make statements that allude to that notion. Um, so there are, I believe, three manufacturers that are getting served with a warning letter. Fortunately, it's just a warning letter and all good bureaucrats do allow for you to correct the issue before pursuing any kind of legal action or fines. Um, so uh, that's that's the good news there. But yes, um, retailers should be aware that there are things that you cannot say about these products. Um, and that was just posted up today. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> I believe the action actually took place last month, uh, but there's an email that went out today. Um, and the other thing was, and this is sort of an ongoing discussion, I know that, that we have sort of in our closed circle, we haven't done too much publicly about it, um, but uh, there was, Altria had released their um, advocacy website. Uh, I don't know if it was released last week or someone just found it last week, but um, the, the issue of astroturfing is going to be something I think that, that we really need to address uh, soon. Um, and it's something, and, and I have made statements, uh, you know, on Facebook that we have examples of this happening within our sort of independent vaping community. Uh, and, and now we're seeing it at the big corporate level. Um, so just something for everyone to kind of chew on until next week. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, astroturfing is an issue and, uh, we will possibly be addressing it soon. What, what is astroturfing? It's, it, it, well, it's, it's fake, it's fake grass. Uh, it's fake it's, grassroots. It's typically, uh, companies will fund advocacy efforts that are intended to look like grassroots consumer driven advocacy. But in reality, it's funded by a company that benefits from it. Yeah. And when we get down into, uh, you know, the vapor industry, it becomes a little bit more nuanced because, you know, I have mixed feelings about it personally. Um, because I, I, you know, I do feel that, you know, independent retailers are sort of their own grassroots and, uh, it's very difficult to lump, lump them in with a huge corporation engaging in this kind of unethical behavior. Um, but also, you know, the flip side of that coin is that that's what your vendor associations are for. And, um, there are certain things you can do that are more appropriate than, um, uh, Altria. Something or other, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, there, there are certain campaigns, though they might be well-intentioned, um, there will be blowback from them. They already say we're big vapor. Big vapor. Alex, have you gotten your check yet? I've been doing this for six years. I, I've got nothing. <clears throat> I need to call the central office because I'm, I'm behind on my Ferrari payments. <laughs> I, I pay more in than they could pay me. 
but I've been doing this for six years. I've never seen a cent of it. I, I find it hilarious that they call the actual grassroots big vaping. And then they subtly tend to ignore the things that the larger corporations are doing. You know, it, it's almost like they're hand in hand with the regulatory agencies and the regulatory agencies want to cast us all under the same umbrella all the small groups as being big tobacco and yet they want to hand the industry over to them. It's very dishonest on the government's part and it feels um, like a betrayal is what it feels like. So um, that's why people take that so seriously and they should. Yeah. Yeah, Julie's going to kill us. Yeah, it's been (laughs) almost 45 minutes. So I think I'll I'll end on a relatively moderate note. And uh, (laughs) that's that's all I got for now. (laughs) Well, um, thank you very much for everything you do, Alex. Um, I'm sure we'll be thanking you more next year. and thank you for coming on and for talking to us. And I know you've got other stuff to work on. Um, if you need some help, holler. I'm here. Cool. You know where to find me. <laughs> uh, ditto. Talk to you later. Cool. Thanks. Thank you. Doesn't this sound like fun? <laughs> <laughs> um, I know this, this, um, this update went a little long, but uh, I think it was all kind of important stuff. Was there anything else that I said I was going to talk about? Oh, yeah. There was one more story to really kick you in the crotch. Because, you know, we can't... Well, actually... Yeah, I'll do the University of Chicago one very last because it's kind of funny. Okay, I... In the update for what we're going to talk about tonight, I called this Who Watches the Watchmen? And it's a story by Lee Fang for The Intercept. And that's not what the story is called. Lobbyist for spies appointed to oversee spying. Who's keeping watch of the National Security Agency? In Congress, the answer in more and more cases is that the job is going to former lobbyists for NSA contractors and other intelligence community insiders. A wave of recent appointments has placed intelligence industry insiders into key congressional overseeing roles overseeing intelligence gathering. The influx of insiders is particularly alarming because lawmakers in Washington are set to take up a series of sensitive surveillance and intelligence issues this year, from reform of the Patriot Act to far-reaching information-sharing legislation. After the first revelations of domestic surveillance, Congressional oversight and congressional reauthorization. Um, Okay, they claim that the spying programs were subject to congressional oversight and congressional reauthorization and debate. But as Representative Alan Grayson, Democrat of Florida, and other members of Congress have pointed out, there is essentially a two-tiered system for oversight, with lawmakers and staff on specialized committees, such as the House and Senate Committees on Intelligence and Homeland Security, controlling the flow of information and routinely excluding other Congress members, even those who have asked for specific information regarding pending legislation. 
Um, the Intercept reviewed the new gatekeepers in Congress, relating staffers on the committees overseeing intelligence and surveillance matters, and found a large number of lobbyists and consultants passing through the revolving door between the intelligence community and the watchdogs, who purportedly oversee the intelligence community. We reached out to each of them earlier this week and have yet to hear back. House Intelligence Committee top staffer lobbied for intelligence contractors like Boeing. Jeff Shockley, S3group.com. In January, Jeff Shockley became the most powerful staffer on the House Intelligence Committee after Chairman David Nunes, Republican of California, named him staff director, the highest-ranking staff assignment. Shockley has gone in and out of lobbying and congressional work for over two decades. As a staffer, as a staffer, staffer, as a staffer for Representative Jerry Lewis, not related, Republican of California back in 1996, he was one of several staffers to vacation in the northern Mariana Islands on a trip sponsored by Jack Abernoff, a lobbyist later convicted on corruption charges, who was then representing the Mariana government in a bid to downplay concerns over labor conditions on the island's factories, which included allegations of sweatshop-like environments and forced abortions. Shockley later became a lobbyist himself, helping his military-industrial Clients win over $150 million in earmarks from Lewis's Appropriations Committee, an arrangement that led to a federal investigation. In recent years, Shockley launched his own lobbying firm and partnership with former General Stanley McChrystal to represent a large number of companies that work on behalf of the military and, in some cases, intelligence agencies like the NSA, including Academy, the firm formerly known as Blackwater. Boeing, General Dynamics, Northrop Gunman, uh, United Launch Technologies, and United Launch Alliance. Disclosures show that Shockley earned over $1.2 million last year and is set to receive over $1.1 million in three installments as a payout for leaving his firm to become a public servant. Lead House Overseer of Information Technology worked for the CIA, William Hurd. After winning an upset victory in the midterm election last year, Representative William Hurd, Republican of Texas, was appointed to become the chairman of the new House Oversight Subcommittee on Information Technology. As Chairman Jason Chavez, Representative uh, Republican Utah, explained to Roll Call, this new subcommittee will have the jurisdiction over anything dealing with technology, from NSA data collection to cybersecurity. Heard is no ordinary member of Congress. Before running for office, Heard worked in offensive cyber corporations as a CIA officer, joined the Corruption Group, a private intelligence firm led by a former CIA official, and later helped to build a cybersecurity company called Fusion X. Last year, he advised an NSA contractor. This year, he is the leader of a senior intelligence committee staff. Senator Richard Burr, the North Carolina Republican who chairs the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence, appointed as committee's deputy staff director, Dr. Robert Cadillac, a consultant who earned $451,000 last year, advising a number of intelligence-related companies, including Invicta, a DARPA project, and Psychder, a contractor to the NSA. Another recently minted Senate Intelligence Committee staffer is Matthew Pollard, who previously worked as a lobbyist for Orbital Sciences Corporation, a company that provides space-based military and intelligence operations, according to filings with the Securities and Exchanges Commission. Intelligence Online, a trade publication for the intelligence industry, reported that DARPA contracts with Orbital to work on round-the-clock global, global imagery technology. 
Pollard is a bipartisan staff member, meaning he serves both the majority and the minority members on the committee. Former defense and cybersecurity industry staffers, lead staffer at Homeland Security Committees, Jenna Barker McNeil, Shutteroff Group. The House and Senate Homeland Security Committees have undergone staff changes. Chairman Senator Ron Johnson, Republican Wisconsin, promoted Jenna Baker McNeil, a former senior associate to the Shutteroff Group, to a deputy staff director for the Senate Homeland Security Committee. The Shutteroff Group is a consulting firm founded by former Homeland Security Secretary Michael Shutteroff that serves the multi-billion dollar cybersecurity and intelligence industry. Former CACI International Vice President Brendan Shields became staff director of the House Homeland Security Committee in April of last year. CACI is a defense contractor that gained infamy for its management of the Abu Ghraib prison complex in Iraq. The firm, however, specializes in information technology for the military, although they sideline in torture, and has participated in a number of acquisitions in recent years to break further into intelligence agency work. Um, Lead House Cybersecurity Watchdog was a lawyer for private spying firm and major defense contractor, John Radcliffe. Like Representative Hurd, Representative John Radcliffe, Republican Texas, is another freshman lawmaker who was instantly awarded, awarded the championship of a specialized committee overseeing cybersecurity and surveillance issues. Radcliffe is the chairman of the Homeland Security Subcommittee on Cybersecurity, a position overseeing new information sharing measures described by privacy advocates as cyber surveillance. Before running for Congress, Radcliffe was a lawyer with the Ashcroft Law Firm, the company founded by former Attorney General John Ashcroft. Radcliffe's personal finance disclosures revealed that he represented Huntington Ingalls, a major defense contractor, as well as Strafter, a private intelligence firm that reportedly conducted work for companies including Lockheed Martin, Northrop Gunman, and Rayathon, as well as U.S. government agencies like the Department of Homeland Security, the Defense Intelligence Agency, and the Marines. Lobbyist influence is a particularly sensitive issue when it comes to intelligence committees, since those committees oversee secret black budgets in which money is dispersed with greatly reduced public oversight. The potential for self-dealing is significant. Former Representative Randy Duke Cunningham, Republican of California, was caught accepting bribes to essentially earmark government contracts into a black budget. Democrats have appointed fewer lobbyists to power for intelligence-related committees in recent years, but have not been immune to similar influence-peddling scandals concerning defense contracts. Former House Intelligence Chairman Representative Silvestri Reyes, Democrat of Texas, raised $50,000 in campaign cash from a lobbying group called PMA Group just before earmarking defense contract funds to PMA Group clients. The PMA Group's founder, Paul Manglio... Very? Manglio Chetty. Okay was convicted for making false statements and making illegal campaign donations. But lobbyist control over the House and Senate Intelligence and Homeland Security Committees may have a profound impact on a range of surveillance issues debated by Congress this year, including the Cybersecurity Information Sharing Act and the Patriot Act. This is an extreme case of industry capturing the legislative committees that oversee the industry, said Craig Holman, a lobbying and government ethics expert at Public Citizen, an advocacy group with a strong focus on corporate accountability. 
while the reverse revolving door in which industry moves their lobbyists and executives into the government committees and agencies that regulate the industry is disturbingly commonplace in most sectors. This sounds like the cybersecurity industry has a lock on the relevant congressional committees. Yeah, I'm not shocked by that. No. Janie, shock? None? None whatsoever. None. Okay. I promised I would do that one, so I did. Um, And now for one I think that's kind of funny. University of Chicago to spend $25,000 to teach students how to hang out. Proposed workshop ideas include advanced time killing, maxing, and relaxing. The University of Chicago student government plans to spend $25,000 to teach college students how to hang out. The Uncommon Fund, which is maintained by the student government, allocates money every year to encourage students to take action on campus in creative and unique ways, according to its website. Student Alec Goodwin proposed a national symposium on hanging out, which received 25000 out of the 85000 allocated this year, according to the Chicago Maroon. In a less than serious video pitching his idea, Goodwin promises to gather leading-edge scholars in the field of hanging out, including Chicago rapper Chief Keefe for his work on marijuana and ATV-related activities, actor James Franco, and, of course, Vice President Joe Biden. In a Facebook post, Goodwin, Goodwin added the Dalai Lama as a target for his proposed symposium. Proposed workshop ideas include advanced time-killing, maxing and relaxing, hanging out versus hanging out in air quotes. Students will also be encouraged to do their own research in hanging out, according to Goodwin. Neither Goodwin nor the student government responded to college fix inquiries. The Uncommon Fund staff advisor, Derek Bundy, justified giving the plurality of the fund to Goodwin because his proposal requires high-profile speakers, according to the Maroon. Plus, relaxation needs to be discussed more at the high-pressure private school, Bundy said. Past finalist for Uncommon Award Award truly fits its name. Last year's winning ideas included Identity Week, designed to help students explore every conceivable identity group, which they could identify. Uh, Other finalists sought to bring insect-based food to campus, bake the world's largest muffin, while more down-to-earth ideas included building a climbing wall, hosting a conference on business ethics, and designated spaces for musicians to practice and perform on campus. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the young are getting really, really stupid. They don't want to relax anymore. Yeah, right. I guess not. Yeah, I, um, yeah. It's ridiculous. $25,000. That's a big party. That is a big party. Yeah. That's a really big party. I, um, I almost want to go. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe we should send Alex, too. Yeah. Get the Dalai Lama in to speak. Uh, spend the rest <laughs> on uh, alcohol. Be fantastic. <laughs> Everyone will be nice and relaxed. Relaxed, passed out. Same difference, really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that, there that was... like, so Tom Thomas is linking to, you know, the dumbing down <laughs> of America. So, yeah, it links to the salt as well, because, you know, <laughs> you need people that aren't think. getting enough salt for their brain to operate, I don't think. 
<laughs> yeah, it it's um it's pretty bad. I I feel like I can't I tried to have a conversation with a woman who worked in banking who works with me about civil asset forfeiture. She didn't understand what it meant. <laughs> I was like I, I just I left the room. I was like, okay, I, I can't talk to you. Yeah, I I've, I do that quite a lot in my life. I, <laughs> I, I end up talking to somebody who's so stupid that I just walk away. <laughs> it's like it's, I'm wasting it, my time. Leave. It, yeah, it it really is much easier. Um, do me a favor this week, guys. Mm-hmm. Visit fight215.org. Okay. And please call your Congress critter and tell them to, you know, get rid of Section 215. Stop um, looking at me. Yeah. If, oh, and for, if the we, people that are, for the people that can't see chat, it's F-I-G-H-T, the number two, the number one, the number five, dot org. Please do that, because if we can't stop that, we've lost complete control of our government. And we need to have a more serious talk about government than what we already are. So, yeah. Um, support CASA. Send in your testimonials if you haven't already. Uh, support Hawaii Vapors. Uh, visit stop215.org. Uh, and uh, if we stop 215.org, maybe we can go to that Chicago party that that <laughs> university's having. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Um, but, uh, yeah. Oh. I do. Mm-hmm. Have a good night, you guys. Thank you for listening. Advert? Advert. Why spend hours searching for in-stock ammunition when you can use AmmoSeek.com? AmmoSeek.com is a search engine for finding ammunition, reloading components, magazines, and guns for more than 300 calibers at more than 60 online retailers. AmmoSeek.com only shows items that are in stock and readily available for shipping. You can search by caliber, grains, manufacturer, and more. The results are displayed by cost per round, so you are able to get the very best pricing on your ammunition of choice. Find ammunition at the best prices, fast. Amoseek.com. Good night, you guys. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.